Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. Thanks for being with us. We are your source for market intelligence, forecasts, and strategies. Well, today we have a special show for you. We're going to talk about office tenant strategies and how important is that. If you work in an office space or you lead a business, you know how important it is. We're going to talk to an experienced office tenant rep who's going to share some tips and best practices. We're also going to talk to a lawyer. He specializes in representing tenants on office leases and talk about some key clauses and things to watch out for on your lease. And then last, we're going to talk to an architect tech who focuses on optimizing office design for productivity. So let's get started. Please welcome my first guest. It's Bob Chodas. He's an SIOR. He's also vice chairman. He's now with Newmark, Grubb, Knight, and Frank in their Chicago office. Bob, thanks for being back on the show with us. Thanks, Michael. Good to be with you. And he's joining us on the phone. And and Bob, you, you get to see the office market from you know from a big view of, of offices around the country and also there in Chicago. So for the most part, do landlords or tenants have the upper hand right now? What do you see? That's a great question, Michael. It all depends on the segment of the market you're looking at. Uh, I'd say generally in our market in downtown Chicago specifically, it's kind of trending towards a landlord favorable market, but that still uh, leaves plenty of room for big concession packages and and uh, favorable lease clauses from landlords today. But we are seeing a, a lot of upward pressure on rents uh, in the particularly the brand new high rise buildings where anchor tenants who were first movers might be paying in the low 30s net, and today they've they've even cut rents, cut deals with. Uh, new tenants in the tops of some of these buildings over $40 a square foot net. So there's been a lot of uh, rate inflation in the top tier segment of the market. Right. And what a true tenant rep, even with those kind of increases, is still a great time for a great deal, right? <laughs> it is. You know, there, with, with these high rents come big concession packages, yeah. $80, $90, $100 TI allowances, run abatement to pick up cover lease pickups, uh, and then lots of flexibility under the lease. And what should tenants think about, Bob, related to this? I mean, uh, we're having the same issue in our market where some of the tenants are seeing some 25 to 30 percent rent increases when they're looking at renewals. What are some tips for tenants facing those situations? Well, it's a great, great question. You know, too many tenants just put a lease in the drawer and say, you know, I'll look at this a year or two before my lease expiration date. In our business, lease expiration dates rarely drive what happens with a lease. Uh, you know, people have many things happening in their business that cause them to have to look at the lease. So we would do periodic checks. We recommend our clients do periodic checkups to keep their lease sort of mark to market, make sure you understand what the landlord's capital stack looks like for the property and what your tenant's needs are in the operation of the business so that when and if an opportunity presents itself, you can strike and take advantage of it. Well, those are great tips, and that's why I think we've had you on now four or five times over the years. And then I have another question for you, and we've talked before where you were telling me that the uh, square footage per employee has really been shrinking over the years, but now that the job market has it seemed to have improved in most markets, what do you see recently in that regard? You know, that's another great question, and, and I'll tell you, you know, companies in general are trying to reduce footprint to reduce costs. That's the, that's the fastest way to cut costs. But at the same time, they need to recruit and retain their key employees. You have this millennial shift happening in the workforce, and millennials versus, versus Gen Xers or boomers work a little differently. So we're seeing 
generally speaking, square foot per employee coming down, but we're also seeing a lot of uh, attention paid to amenity spaces, work cafes, uh, places where people can work remotely and quietly, and the use of hoteling and unassigned workspace in order to densify workspace without having to cut people into small, you know, 60 square foot cubicles. Right. So there's a lot of ways to cut costs without cramming people in. And um, we're talking with Bob Chodas. He's a tenant rep. He's been doing it a long time. He's based in Chicago. And, and Bob, another question I have for you is the FASB lease accounting changes. They're requiring tenants to put leases on their balance sheet as a liability. How much are tenants talking about that with you and how is it impacting their decisions or is it at all? It, well, it is. And, and Tenants have been paying attention to this pending change, which is now happening for many, many years, and they've been uh, preparing their accounting methodologies and how they treat leases um, uh, on balance sheet versus off balance sheet. So to the degree that there's a kind of a shock to the system, I'd say, and the answer is no, people have been well prepared for it. And the fact is, is that companies invest a lot of capital in these leases to build the kind of workspace that tenants need to do business. And FASB rules or otherwise, they need to sign longer-term leases just to amortize those costs. And so I think the impact we've seen is not, man, substantial, other than in some instances, tenants are trying to opt for shorter leases. Okay, so you're not hearing too much of the CFO coming in and saying, hey, we need a shorter lease and, and throw the economics in, into a wreck. Yeah, we, we, you know, we don't see people making these big capital decisions driven by the FASB accounting rules. They're accommodating the rules because they have to, and they have to, re- make, they have to make space commitments and workplace strategy commitments based upon what the business needs, and they'll have to do the accounting because that's their obligation in order to keep their, you know, their public standing or private standing. Right. What are some other terms in leases today uh, that you're seeing are important to tenants? You know, uh, other than wanting to try to get the lowest rent possible and the highest uh, TI allowance and the biggest commission they can pay to their real estate advisor, of course, that's always a good thing to get. Other than those things, the the real keys in the lease today are flexibility. It's all around expansion, contraction rights, uh, termination rights, if possible, and layers of those through the term of the lease because those are really opportunities for a business to, you know, restrike a deal in the marketplace. And then there's some basic operational terms in leases that become very important today. Interruption of, of uh, services is a very big issue today with the, you know, the total reliance on technology in the workplace. Power goes down, these guys are out of business. What happens when that happens? Right. And, and I've seen it here in my office that we lose the internet and we haven't lost it really in a couple of years, but we lose it for 10 minutes and people feel like they can't work, right? You're out of business. Yeah. I mean, you're simply out of business at that yeah. point in time. People are sitting around twiddling their thumbs because everything now is email. Right. You know, and, and, and I like to say, well, look, uh, your phone works, right? <laughs> yeah. And you phone. can get, you know, you can get work done with that still, but the, <laughs> but the level of productivity drops pretty dramatically if your, if your connectivity to the net comes down. Right. So that's a, that's a real big issue. And we see landlords fighting us tooth and nail on interruption of services provisions where we tell them this lease rent stops if there's an interruption for any reason, including anything that you can't control because 
it rides with the real estate. It shouldn't ride with the risk of that should ride with the real estate, not with the tenant. And uh, we get a lot of pushback from landlords on that. They hate it. Yeah, I imagine you do. But if it's crucial to the operation of the business, well, then it's important to the tenant. And another thing that you mentioned was termination rights uh, on it for a tenant to have that kind of flexibility. But obviously on the landlord side, you know, we sell office buildings and those termination rates really kill value uh, when you're trying to uh, finance a, a property or sell a property. So how are you helping tenants uh, get these termination rights? You know, it's, it's all part of the upfront uh, site selection process. You introduce the concepts early during the uh, RFP process and certainly as you go through letters of intent, and it's just a matter of it's a fundamental deal point that we have to get through with a landlord. Oftentimes, we'll push them out into your seven, eight, or nine of a 15-year lease to give the landlord a, a reasonable breathing window, and they can get those financed. And many of them contain uh, you know, payback provisions that make the landlord essentially whole on their, their concessions that they would give on the, on the lease. So they're not easy for the tenant to exercise, but nonetheless, even if they have a heavy penalty, many tenants will opt to exercise them because of other business reasons, like they've moved the business or it's been acquired and they're selling off a, a division that they've got to get out of a lease and it, uh, that termination right, even with a penalty, allows them to get out of five or six years worth of rent. Okay. And Bob, we're short on the break. What's your number one tip for a tenant? You know, I think the number one tip is always to study your situation early and often. You know, you may not act, but always be prepared to act on the marketplace. So you should really, you know, spend time not letting that lease sit in the drawer. Bring an expert in. Let them help you assess it against the market. And then if you see an opportunity that you can act upon, act upon it. Right. It's important. Uh, good tip because you want to think about your business more than your lease expiration and you may have opportunities to do something that helps your business. Bob, thanks for joining us. We appreciate you being on the show again. My pleasure. Thanks. All right. And stay tuned. We're going to have more on office tenant strategies. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Today we're talking about office tenant strategies. Please welcome my next guest. It's Matt Sowers. Matt is a partner with Morris, Manning, and Martin. They're a big law firm that has offices, I think, all around the southeast. Very respected. And uh, Matt, thanks for joining us here in Studio One today. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Michael. Well, Matt, one of the things that, that we've noticed uh, from representing tenants in the Atlanta market uh, at, here at Bull Realty is that sometimes the tenants don't realize how long this process can actually take. What are some examples of how long you've seen a, a lease negotiation take place? So from the time a letter of intents agreed on between a landlord and tenant to actually get to an executed lease. Uh, well, I, th I think your perception is exactly right. Uh, I have uh, in the last year, year and a half seen uh, at least three leases I can think of that took five, six months to go from LOI to actual execution. Yeah, it can be crazy. I was doing a retail lease on 20,000 square feet that 
I think took us seven months. <laughs> so I'm like, guys, yeah. you know, uh, it couldn't be this difficult. Well, tell us about some tips. If you had to give the uh, the top three tips, I know you probably have a hundred tips for office yeah. tenants, but if you had to pinpoint the top three, what are they for office tenants? Well, I think the biggest one relates back to what we were just talking about, which is plan ahead adequately. And there's a number of ways that that impact. I mean, it impacts things across your lease. Um, from economics to legal issues. You got to ensure that you're gonna have ample time to negotiate your lease, do your design and build out, and actually move into your new space um, without, well, we're seeing holdover situations very frequently these days, uh, so it's not unusual. Obviously, you want to avoid it. It's You're typically paying 150 to 200% rent, and you also, as a tenant, expose yourself to uh, different liability, but something that a lot of people, a lot of tenants don't think about on the front end. You're really concentrating on moving in and um, and getting built out and excited about new space and a new relationship and don't want to think about sort of the back end and the implications that can have. But um, so really plan ahead, make sure you have sufficient time. I think think about exit strategies as well, which I guess falls within planning ahead. And, a number of provisions that relate to that are like your transfer assignment, subletting, uh, subordination type provisions that are always important to think about. I think it's also if you are a larger tenant who's doing uh, sort of significant build out, you need to think about what third party uh, players may, be, may need to be involved in terms of consents or input. Um, on the leases that I was mentioning that have taken really had sort of a uh, a, a long lifespan, they all involved lenders, and we were in a position of trying to protect a tenant against um, the eventuality that its allowance wasn't going to be fully available. So we're talking about you know three, four, five million dollar allowances, and um, having to reach agreements with the landlord's lenders to ensure that those allowances were going to be available for the tenant should there be a financial distress. Uh, event on the landlord side. Right. And then you talked about the importance of assignment and uh, subleasing and and even today now we have rental desk, right? Where people right. come in and licensing That's a right. desk for a time. So so how might the rights on a for a tenant from a tenant's perspective be important to a tenant to have favorable rights regarding subleasing and subletting? Well, there's a couple things. I mean, one, <clears throat> it's a growth strategy uh, to be able to assign or sublet. I mean, obviously, the assign, assignment provision can be in conjunction with a merger or sale or some sort of capital and growth event. It also can be an exit strategy if there's uh, economic difficulties. A tenant wants to be able to uh, sort of hit the eject button and, and, and make changes reduce space and or uh, relocate if necessary. So, right, so good times or bad times, right? That's you know, right, it it's both extremes. Important. Exactly. Um, and we are seeing more and more of the desk licensing that you referenced, particularly with tech clients, that's an extremely important right for them to have. And it found landlords are pretty amenable to it. Um, landlords' biggest concern, obviously, a lot of them just say, we don't really want to know. <laughs> you know make right. sure you've got your insurance in place and yeah. You're not you're not exceeding your occupancy rate, and we're okay. Right. 
Yeah. Well, that's interesting because uh, we are seeing more of it. We had a guest on from Pivot Desk, and you know that's what they do in major cities around the the country is help tenants that maybe they've leased too much space and they want to rent to some uh, desk to some people. Maybe they're a business that helps them, right? That they're associated with them in some way. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think we're going to keep seeing more of that. Well, let's talk about um, another question I think some tenants have is uh, estoppel certificates, right? So if you're just driving down the road and tuned your radio, (laughs) and as an office tenant, sometimes you're required to sign an estoppel, which is basically an agreement that says your your, your lease is current, that the landlord doesn't owe you anything, and that uh, you're you're current and and verifies the lease. My question comes to you, Matt, is that let's say that the tenant signs an estoppel maybe for the 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 office building owner to refinance a loan or maybe to sell the property and there's a conflict and the estoppel says one thing the lease says something else which one controls well that's a a situation we obviously try to avoid Uh, it can create a lot of problems that I'm sure you can imagine if an estoppel has language which we typically try to get included that says to the extent there's a uh, conflict between the lease and the estoppel the lease controls then it's sort of no harm no foul you try to get that in the estoppel do you also try to get it in the lease uh no it's not really i guess it depends if it's if an estoppel form is attached to the lease okay. then yeah we'd want to get it in there but so often um estoppel provisions are going to say even if they have a form attached uh, that it can be sort of substantially similar or in a form required by the landlord's lender or a prospective purchaser that sort of thing and they have categories of items that are required to be included yeah and there's always the and such other things as may be required or reasonably required kind of the catch-all but so if there is a clear error between um, information that's contained in an estoppel in the lease uh, it is it first of all it's unusual that that will get past everybody who's reviewing it so there's obviously in the perfect world right <laughs> right and and if it's a smaller lease and a smaller estoppel it's more likely to get overlooked yeah. if it's uh, you know a larger tenant um, and this is a capital event uh, with respect to which an estoppel is being delivered, then in all likelihood, if there's a difference in the termination date of the lease, then um, that's going to be noticed. But yeah. to the extent it's not a clear and manifest error and there is an inconsistency, the tenant is going to be stuck with what's in the estoppel. Right. So the tenant needs to be careful when they're submitted an estoppel to make sure they're not signing something that's incorrect or they maybe lose some rights that they had in the lease. That's right. And this goes back to the same category of plan ahead because so many times a tenant's required to deliver an estoppel within a prescribed period of time and it may come to me two or three days before it's required to be delivered and I of course will have revisions to it and send those to landlord's counsel who then will send them to purchasers or lenders counsel and before you know it we're out of time and the tenant's looking at a potential default situation. Right, good point. And those do have time frames typically because you can't hold up business. The tenant can't just sit on them and not respond to them. And, right. I, and I think it's interesting, you know, as we're talking about tenant strategies and we talk about these clauses, some tenants don't realize what a tenant rep and a lawyer is doing for them until three, four, five, ten years down the lease. They, oh, we've got to add a great tenant rep and a great lawyer. And we're going to have another more information from a great lawyer for you right after this break. Stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back.
The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by CCIM Institute, commercial real estate's global standard for professional achievement. Visit CCIM.com slash CRE show. That's CCIM.com slash CRE show. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm talking with Matt Sowers. He's a partner with Morse, Manning, and Martin. We're talking about some important lease clauses, and we talked about for the break, Matt, that sometimes you don't know as a tenant uh, how important some of this stuff is until you need it down the road uh, years later. What are some other clauses in the lease that tenants might want to be wary of or watch out for? Well, it goes really beginning to end, one that we often see uh, poorly drafted, uh, certainly out of the gate and needing work is the sort of lease and rent commencement provisions and how those tie in with completion of landlord work or tenant build out and um, rent commencement. A lot of times it's, uh, they sort of mysteriously don't align and a tenant can be in a situation where it's required to start paying rent before it's really able to use and occupy the space. So I know that's sort of fundamental, but you'd be amazed how many times we see that um, in an initial lease draft. And what's another clause or or special stipulation that people... Well, sort of going then from beginning to the very end is the holdover provision. As I mentioned earlier, this is something that I'm seeing, I'd say at least 75% of the time with my new leases now, I've got tenants who are facing holdover situations in their prior space because either uh, things didn't go quite as planned or they didn't allocate enough time for the for the new lease and and space and build out Um, so that and and that's problematic obviously it's not ideal to be paying typically 150 percent of rent last due but the biggest thing there is that it exposes tenants to other forms of liability oftentimes um, consequential liability which can be significant so in negotiating holdover provisions, we always try to limit, well, we try to completely avoid consequential liability, but that's a consequential damages. That's almost impossible to do. So we typically are able to get landlords to agree to waive consequential damages. For, Meaning like, for example, maybe they lose a tenant that was waiting to get in. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. That's right. That Loss could, of a lease. Yeah, that could be huge. Yep. If you will, give us a few tips for a tenant that's concerned about uh, operating cost uh, rising uh, a few years down the road. You know, they get in and have an estimate of what the rent's going to be, but, but most of these leases have rights where the landlord's passing along operating expenses through CAM. And what are some tips for a tenant there? Well, the, 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 a couple things. One is to um, provide sort of, and it depends on what the operating expense definition is in the lease, but I typically can get a lengthy uh, number of exclusions added to the operating expenses, so they're items that uh, landlord can't pass through. Then, and what's an example of a couple that you might be able to pull out of operating expenses that the tenant has to reimburse? Sure, uh, anything that's otherwise reimbursed to a landlord. So, for instance, if there is uh, a casualty and a landlord is reimbursed with uh, insurance proceeds it can't then pass through um, its expenses and restoration or repair to the tenants. How about capital improvements to the building? Capital improvements we always try to exclude uh, and that really is on a case-by-case, market-by-market basis. Um, a lot of times where we'll end up is they are amortized over their useful life. Okay. So 
tenant then pays its allocable share to the extent the useful life falls within the term. Okay. And what are some ways to, to limit the increases uh, in the um, expenses that the tenant's paying? Sure. So we oftentimes will see caps of, um, it actually seems like the caps are increasing now, but uh, in the last, I guess this cycle, I've seen four to, gosh, 10% caps on uh, controllable operating expenses on a year-to-year -year basis. One thing that tenants need to be really careful of, and this is often overlooked because it seems like if you get a 5% cap on uh, controllables on a year-to-year -year basis, it's a victory, and, and it is, but landlords then typically will cram down that it's cumulative and compounding. So you can actually, if, to the extent there's savings in early years in the term, those can be carried over and you can end up with a more than 5% uh, increase and actually get a pretty big hit later on in the lease. Yeah, that can be pretty big on one change of a word there, right? Exactly. Yep, <laughs> that's exactly right. Well, what's a final tip you give our listeners to, to watch out for in their lease negotiations? Uh, I guess another thing that often is, is problematic that we see is assignment subletting provisions. Again, don't always contemplate um, tenant future plans. And it's hard. Nobody knows what the future holds, so we always try to make those as sort of broad and limit landlord approval rights. The last thing you want to do as a tenant is be in a position where you have a merger, consolidation, sale, major capital event, and you've got to go to your landlord to get consent uh, in order to have a change of control in the company. That's obviously not an ideal situation. Right. But the landlords, they want to have control. They want to know who's in the space. But uh, I guess on an event of a, of a sale or a merger, you're typically able to get that through, right? Yeah, most of the time. Um, and again, it depends on the language. If we are in, uh, involved on the front end, then yeah, it's, it's typically something we can handle. Well, Matt, thanks for joining us in Studio One today. It's my pleasure. It. Thank you, Michael. Well, stay with us. We'll have more on office tenant strategies. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us. Check out Valuate, a real estate analysis program that can be easily shared with colleagues online to do what-if analysis. Visit GetValuate.com. That's GetValuate.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Today we're talking about office tenant strategies. Please welcome my next guest is Kim Russo. She is with Cooper Carey. They're an architecture and design and planning firm. They have offices in D.C., New York, and Atlanta. Kim's joining us here in Studio One. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, Michael. We nice appreciate to see it. you. Tell us briefly about what you do at Cooper Carey and what uh, about your firm. Well, our firm has a mission of connecting people to place. And as principal and director of interior design, I really get to dive into how we physically connect people to the places they occupy. Yeah, that's nice and it's uh, really important. And uh, one of the things that we've, we've heard in the show today is uh, some tenants have an issue with is timing, not kind of starting too late. When should they start working on their design if they're looking for new space? I would say as soon as it pops in their head, they need to do it. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, we see a lot of things driving schedules, you know, um, financial implications internally, trying to get budgets approved or, you know, logistics of moving people. But we really can't emphasize starting, you know, emphasize enough starting soon. And I would say at, at a minimum, a year before you think you need to move, you should 
you should talk to someone. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point as a, as a minimum. And so what, who should a tenant think about having on their team, both a kind of in the firm uh, and then maybe vendors, uh, third-party vendors to help them? Well, it, it's really important, and we see successful projects when internally a champion and you know a point person gets assigned, as well as the decision-making team. So that mm -hmm. is critical for the company. And then looking outward, building your team as soon as possible, and um, project management has really kind of come into its own as a profession. And so these are third-party real estate advisors that can help bring on the architect and the engineers and any other kind of vendors that would make the project a success. Right. And then inside the, the company, so you want to bring some of your department heads and HR and bring in the CEO. Do you want to bring in marketing? How many people do you see get involved in some of these deals? Well, we've seen it where it's been a committee of 20 and sometimes <laughs> it's, you know, the, the, the CEO and the facilities manager. And I, I would say they really need to think about their culture and how they want to move a project through. But what's important is that they decide, is it a committee or is it a, you know, a dictatorship, if you will? Yeah. And, and then that will dictate their process. But I will say the most successful projects have a bit of a perspective from different departments, so HR, finance, and the CEO. Right, and I'm sure you appreciate that when you're doing the design to kind of, because you want to make sure that you understand the future of the business and how it operates and how, what, how these different departments work together, right? So how are some of the space designs evolving? It seems like it's it's been evolving pretty quickly. It has, and I, I'd say a predominant trend is kind of these raw and industrial spaces that feel like um, it could be in someone's startup garage and the tech industry has really kind of driven that. And then to offset that, they're really looking for a warm kind of wood inspired but um, more rustic feeling. Right, and so just talk about those kind of adaptive reuse and some of these spaces that may have been industrial buildings. So if I run a company and I want to be in one of these cool spaces, what should I think about there in terms of, of design and build out and cost? Well, it's a very exciting time because these opportunities are here, such as uh, the big, big warehouses that have become office suites. But I think what has been a surprise to a lot of tenants is that this is not necessarily the easiest nor the cheapest solution. And so it's, um, it's unconventional. It takes time, it takes money, and it takes creativity to figure out how to really execute that in a, in a very uh, standardized world where gypsum walls and you know, acoustic ceiling tiles are, are commonplace. Right, so you have a lot more opportunities for creativity, but you also have a lot more opportunities to spend a lot of money, right? <laughs> because now you gotta think about the lighting is more difficult, right? And the, and the electrical to get to, to that where you need it. It seems like there's a lot of things that will be a little different than your standard office. Absolutely, and uh, we hear a lot of requests for exposed ceilings, mm -hmm. and you know where you'll spend, say, three dollars a foot for uh, a lay-in acoustic ceiling, an exposed ceiling can cost two, three times that, and that has to do with cleaning up what's above it. Uh, we even had an instance where we were spraying paint on the ceiling and because there was fireproofing and metal and conduits they all received the paint differently mm. and the client thought well 
um, I wanted something industrial, but that's too industrial. <laughs> so then we had to scrape it all off, and it right. became expensive. Right. Well, talk to us about um, the companies that like to get more efficiency and put more people in less square footage. What are some tips for uh, business uh, leaders who want to do that? Well, what we're finding is that um, densifying workspaces is not working for companies. And what they've done to offset that is create spaces where people that are sitting in, say, four feet of workspace now have a place to go and make private phone calls or have meetings or just a place to get away and think and work in a different atmosphere. So where it used to be, say, 100 square feet per person, those square footages are going up because we're providing these other spaces for them. Well, that's interesting, and I, th I thought we'd see that, especially as the job market has been improving and people are thinking more about retention and recruiting, and, and then also maybe the health could be a factor when people are crammed in that in, in small spaces, right? Oh, absolutely. We're, we're finding that acoustic um, satisfaction, meaning you, know, you can't think when you're hearing people or someone sneezing on you yeah. or, or someone's, uh, you know, being very distracting are all things that are impeding people's satisfaction with. Well, stay work. tuned. We're going to have more on office tenant strategies. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us. Excelligent, the resource professionals like CCIMs, CBRE, JLL, Colliers, and Bull Realty use for market intelligence. Commercial Search is the site to market and find available properties to buy, sell, or lease all over the country. Visit CommercialSearch.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and you're listening or watching the Commercial Real Estate Show. Today, we're talking about office tenant strategies. We have Kim Russo with us. She's with Cooper Carey. And Kim, one of the things that uh, we talked about before the break that is really more concerned to companies today is a great environment for their people, right? We spend a lot of waking hours sometimes in our offices, and with the job markets really improved, uh, all business leaders are more concerned about retention and recruiting. So what are companies doing? Well, you know, ever since the recession, I think a big focus has been on making people comfortable at work. And there's two ways you can do that. First, you can make the environment pleasant. Like you, sleeping chairs. Yeah, <laughs> well, sure. I mean, if it, if it gives them a pods. boost of energy to move on, you, you know. know. But do you come to work and enjoy the way it looks? And do you feel like you're part of something bigger? And that's all through the aesthetics of your space. But the second point is really supporting how people work. You know, employees are being asked to do more and more. They're asking to innovate and really kind of drive the business. And so if they aren't fully supported in how they need to do their work, they are not going to produce the way they need to. Yeah, and you mentioned before the break that uh, that you're seeing the square footage per employee kind of that went was shrinking. Uh, some companies are realizing, hey, you're going to need more space or you're not going to be able to retain these folks. What else would you tell a business leader who's trying to, to do a design that really recruits uh, more employees and keeps them happier? It is uh, focus on your objectives for your business. Uh, workplace strategy is a buzzword that's come out that really is enhanced programming, but really take the time to understand what are your objectives for your business, what is the culture of your people, and tie those together so that you can produce the work environment that 
supports both of those. For instance, if you have a company that really values um, you know, the ability to put your head down and think, everybody might need offices. Yeah. You know, so those are the kind of things that I would suggest. Yeah, well, that's interesting. Uh, I, I remember recruiting a broker to my office in a on previous location I was in. He said, "Love the company, love to work there, but you know, the office just isn't really. I don't like the office." And we were too tight in a, an older building, and then we moved to a more open space, and uh, uh, and it, and the recruiting has been gone well. You come in our office now, and people are like, "Hey, this looks like a great place to work," and it is. Um, so. So how important are things like uh, plants and, and flowers and those kinds of things to, to help with that environment? Well, I think softening, we call it softening the environment is important. You know, it, there are so many hard surfaces and, and, and hard aspects to an office. So when you can bring in things like artwork or rugs or, you know, embellishments, plants, um, access to nature, it gives people a sense of home. Right. Yeah, and I guess if you you have plants, I mean, they also could help the your environment, uh, the breathing of the, the air, right? That's right. There, there's something in science class that you know with the <laughs> so, CO2 and all that. But yeah. yes, it works. Yeah, it's, it's good for us to have plants <laughs> around us, right? But right. It's, it, it's amazing. We were talking earlier. You know, we have a lot of flower, fresh flowers in our office, and before they're set up on Monday mornings, you come in and it it, it doesn't look as pretty. You don't really know why. You don't, you know, there is a lot of hard services, but then after the, all the flowers are delivered and they're set up, you kind of like, ah, oh, it just feels good, right? Yeah, absolutely. What are some other tips, uh, a parting tip? You had to give a number one tip for office design. What would it be? I would say um, realize that you're embarking on a very important endeavor for your company. And so really dedicate the time to understand uh, your, your budget and your schedule and really what you want it to look like. And that all takes time, but if you really partner with the right person, you can come up with a great solution. Yeah, that's a good tip. And I think it's so important because, you know, it's amazing how much, how many waking hours some of us will spend in our office space and uh, the environment is important. Uh, good tip. Kim, thanks for joining us here in Studio One. Thank you, Michael. It was great. And thanks for joining us on all the radio stations around the country, on YouTube, on iTunes, and the show website. Be sure and join us next week. We're going to talk about social media for your business. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. First Service Solutions, your CMBS borrower advocate. For requests, assumptions, consulting, and restructuring, call First Service Solutions at 817-756-7227.